Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live at our 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m. services, or connect with us on Facebook. Oh, boy, oh, boy. If I haven't told you yet, don't miss a Sunday in February, okay? Uh, Second Chronicles, if you have your Bibles, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29. Some of you have been a part of this journey with us uh, for uh, the uh, uh, 15 years uh, and even longer, but uh, uh, some of you are newer here at Faith Assembly, but man, still uh, nonetheless a, a milestone and just a celebration, and uh, we give all thanks and glory to God. Um, we're in this, this series called Activate and truly believe that this is the time that uh, the wait is over, and I really feel strong as we came into the new year uh, towards the falls, we just began asking God for just clarity, direction. One of the things that we love to do is we love to theme the year because we believe that when we, we, we want to catch the heart of God and, and be able to, our best ability, put into words, but how many realize that you'll never fully put into words the things that God is up to, right? It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond our ability to, to comprehend even. But, but there is this word that we've been using as we kicked off the year and now uh, in uh, week four and uh, this Sunday will be the last Sunday of January and so one month of the new year is already gone. So uh, uh, if, if you're not ready to uh, jump into what God's doing, you better not wait because there's only 11 months left. So uh, uh, excited to, to be a part of what, what is taking place. The um, uh, idea though is that we want to activate what God is up to. Uh, and activate in us what God is up to. I believe the wait is over. Everything we've waited for, this is what we've been waiting for. You say, well, what is it? Is it this day, this moment? No, everything we need to see the power of God advance and work in our lives has already been given to us through Jesus Christ and the promise of his Holy Spirit. This is the day that the Lord has made. Today is the day of salvation. We're not waiting for another day. This is the day, so let's seize it. We're not waiting for another year. And we've said, that's not, let's not let this be another year because if we just spend our years getting ready for the next one and never walking into what God has in this one, how many know that all you've done is make a bunch of approach but never arrival? We've done a lot of approaching but never arriving. And so uh, we want to make sure that we, that we step in with, with intention and the work of what God is doing. And uh, exciting, exciting, exciting. Uh, I just got to point this out. Um, it just happened as I'm looking across the room here. And uh, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Yeah, so right here on this uh, fourth row, there are three men that have a miracle of what God has done in their life. And uh, Mark and Chris and Tom, it's the hand of God. And even just this week, healing. Uh, and so there are miracles right here sitting among us where shouldn't be here from a motorcycle accident, but he's here. He's walking, had a motorcycle accident, uh, the same, and uh, he's here. Uh, doctor said, you got one to three years to live, and now the doctor said, no, you're all good. Everything's fine. Come on, that's the power of God at work in our midst. And so um, can I, I'm just, this, is, this is just confidence. Don't pray for revival. We're in revival. We're not asking, we are, God help us to be stewards of what your spirit is doing. God is moving. This is the moment we've been waiting for. And uh, the best is still ahead of us and still in front of us. And so uh, pray that you just have anticipation, excitement. And so uh, this is what we've been waiting for. And uh, the best uh, that God is, is still at work in us. I want to look today and uh, talk about what is missing in order to see the, the greater things of God activated in our lives. I believe each and every one of us want to see the will of God, the work of God develop. And uh, I hope that we would anticipate that it's now. I, I hear the words of what God said through Isaiah to the people. He said, see, I am doing a new thing. And it happens now. It's springing up now. Somebody say now. It's now. I'm not doing a new thing in the future. That's the future. There will be something. But I'm doing something even now. And he asked this question, do you not perceive it? We said last week that one of the enemy's desires is to distort our perception. If the enemy can distort your perception, he'll make you feel like there's places and times of hopelessness where your back is up against the wall, where you have no options, there's no choice. But the enemy is a liar. He wants to distort our perception. And the reality is we can only see a moment, but how many know God is still working above the chaos and the noise and what's around us that we don't see the big picture. We might see death. That's only a portion of the picture. But there's one who came to give us life and he is the resurrection. And so even death itself is just a portion of the picture because those who are in Christ shall live and never die. How many know that it's in Christ we have the full picture, the big picture? The enemy wants to distort your perception that you miss the now. 
Here's how he'll also distort the perception. Someday. We'll get to that later. We'll move in at another time. I'll get really serious. I'll get really engaged. I'll really move forward with my faith. I'll make that decision someday. It's like giving the, uh, I said to someone we celebrated today, they said, Pastor, are you available on October the 5th? And they showed me the ring. They got engaged. And I said, I'm happy for you because you didn't just get a ring, but you got the date. I've asked some people, so when you're getting married, I don't know, someday. Come on, what do you mean someday? Come on, let's do this. Why would you put off a great opportunity that you have right now? And so, listen, how many say the date that God has for us? It's not someday. This is a day. It's appointed for us right now in this day, this moment, this season that we're in. Do you not perceive it? Don't let the enemy distort your perception. Well, someday, when, when th- circumstances are different, when this happens, when, then, when this all falls in place. No, the day is now. Tell your neighbor. Tell somebody beside you. Say, today is now. The, the day is now. The day is now. The day is now. Here's what I want to look at. Second Chronicles why don't you stand with me, and let's look at this text together. This is Hezekiah. He is a great king, and Hezekiah is in a season of rebuilding, reopening, and reestablishing. I want you to know we're in that season as well. It never ends, and uh, God is working in our midst, and uh, I want you to see today what, what it looks like to uh, see the greater things of, of God take place, and uh, what it is, it's people who are fully engaged, um, if we really believe, if we're convinced that God is up to something great, we'll be ready for it. If, you, if we are really convinced that God is up to something great, we're going to be ready for it. It won't catch us by surprise. We may not be what we expected, but we know God is up to something. And if we anticipate and believe, we're ready for it. What's it look like to be ready for it? It's people who are fully engaged. Uh, here's the one dilemma, and it's not a complete dilemma, but I want you to see what Hezekiah hits in a moment when he's reopening, rebuilding, and reestablishing the temple of God. Verse 34. But there were too few priests to prepare all the burnt offerings. Right there's the issue. There are not enough priests. So their relatives, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished and more priests had been purified. For the Levites had been more conscientious about purifying themselves than the priests had been. I want you to hear that. This is the part in my devotions a couple months ago that I read and I had the circle and I came back to and couldn't get away from. And so that's why I'm preaching it this morning. That the priests were not as conscientious, were not as devoted to purifying themselves as the Levites were. The priests were the ones who should have been, but they weren't ready for it. They weren't prepared. And so the Levites were more conscientious about purifying themselves than the priests had been. Verse 35, there was an abundance of burnt offerings along with unusual or the usual liquid or drink offerings and a great deal of fat from the many peace offerings. There's an abundance of all the offerings. So the temple of the Lord was restored to service and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because of what God had done for the people. For everything had been accomplished so quickly. Somebody say quickly. This is a word that the Lord gave us at the beginning of the year. The first Sunday we were here, first Sunday of the new year, we said acceleration. That we believe what God is doing is going to be expedient. It's going to be quickly. God is doing a quick work, and it's happening quickly in our day. How many believe that the word of God is for today and that God is up to something great? You believe that today, Father? We believe your word. And so, God, not on man's word, but your word. We pray today, God, that your work would be accomplished. And God, give us ears to hear. Let activate, be activated in us what you desire. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that today, would you shout amen? amen? You may be seated, but on your way, ask your neighbor, are you fully engaged? Are you fully engaged? Now, if they think you're proposing, that's a messed up thing there. So, uh, uh, no, that wasn't a proposal. Uh, uh, yeah, the other person I'm halfway engaged to, so sure, we can. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you fully engaged in what God is doing, what God is up to, what God is setting in motion? A move of God across a people and a place is not hindered by anything but this, a lack of fully engaged people. A move of God, the work of God in our land and in our place is not hindered by anything but a lack of people. It's not hindered by a lack of resources. Uh, Let me say it this way. Uh, when it comes to a move of God across our land, sin is not the issue. Sin is not the issue because Jesus already defeated sin. A lack of resources are not our issue. Because Jesus, the Bible says that God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He's already provided for it. It's not a lack of opportunity because even the earth itself is groaning for the coming and the return of Jesus Christ. It's not for a lack of opportunity. It's not for for sin running rampant. It's not because we don't have enough resources. All of those things are already provided for. You need all those things in order for God to do something great. But what is missing is not resources, because how many know God's got enough? It's not opportunity, because it's all around us. And it's not sin, because Jesus is greater than sin. The only thing missing are willing people. 
The only thing missing are willing vessels, individuals who are fully engaged and ready to operate and to work in what God is desiring and what God wants to do. Even God himself is willing. You see, one of the things that you and I have to realize is that God is willing to work in our midst because if he's not, then it goes against his character of being good. Now, I know that there are times we ask God, God, would you show up in our midst? And God is always willing, but he doesn't always do it according to our plan A. Have you ever been in a boat in a moment where God didn't do it the way you thought it ought to be done? I know you've been there. But what I've had to learn in life is that my plan A is not God's plan A. That God's plan A is always bigger than mine. And the process is not me trying to get God on my page. It's me surrendering to make sure I get on God's page. Because I have to believe and know that if it's not my plan A isn't what he does, then I've got to surrender and say, God, you've got a bigger plan than what I see. You see more than what I can see. You're up to something greater. He is willing. If he's not willing, if we feel as if there's something hindering or God's not able, it goes against his character of goodness. But how many know that he is a good God? And because he's a good God, he's a willing God. In fact, the Bible says this, that he is willing, God is willing, that none should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's made every way possible for you and I to come to salvation. He knows how to speak in the moments of our lives. Our conscience itself tells us that there's a God, tells us that, tells us that there's hope, that there's, there's a, a longing to have purpose. We're created with it. Now, we don't know it until someone shares the gospel or until God speaks to us, until the Spirit works upon our heart. But God is willing that none should perish. He gives everyone an opportunity to receive salvation. It is up to us whether we receive it or reject it. He is not willing that any should perish. His willingness, he is a good God. In fact, there was a leper who came to Jesus. And, and as a leper, you don't come to anybody. In fact, if you come to anybody, the first thing you say is unclean. You tell everybody how unclean you are. And Jesus is, is, sees this leper, and Jesus welcomes him to come. Not one of those, oh, don't touch me, stay away from me. Jesus, of course, sees him. The leper and engages a conversation with Jesus with this skin disease, and the leper says, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. The leper acknowledged, I know that you can, but I'm not so sure you will. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. You've got to know that there are times when it looks like God's, willing, God's not willing. It's not that he's not willing. It's just that he's got a better plan A than your plan A. He's got a better plan than what you have. It's not a lack of his willingness or his ability. God works. And I know that immediately rises to I have to know that God is sovereign, that he sees things I don't see, that he's working in ways I don't understand, and that he still is God. If I got to the place where I understood everything God was doing, I no longer need faith. In fact, that's why the Bible says that when that day comes, when we see face to face, we see God. It says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that the things of, of speaking in tongues and prophecy and all the gifts of the Spirit, that they will cease the moment I see God face to face. Why? Because I won't need those things any longer. I will see him and know him as I'm known. But until that day, I don't know everything. I need faith. I've got to trust the sovereignty and the goodness of God. I've got to believe that he knows his ways that are higher than our ways. Not just believe that but I'm confident that my trust and my hope is in the Lord that he is willing he's a good God he's willing to work in your on your behalf he's willing to bring healing in your circumstance your situation it may not be your plan a but his plan a is always bigger than mine and so we've got to believe and know and trust that he's a God of willingness it is not for lack of willingness that God is not moving at moments in our lives it's not a lack of willingness it only comes down to a lack of workers it only comes down to a lack of workers I want you to hear this today Sin runs rampant in our world, but sin is not the problem because Jesus overcame it. Resources are needed in order to see things move forward, but God is not limited by resources because he created you out of dirt so he can do other stuff too. He doesn't need a lot to work with. He can take the, he can take the insignificant things and work in power and in majesty and wonder. He doesn't need an opportunity. It's plenty of opportunity around us. What he's looking for are fully engaged, willing individuals to say, Lord, here am I. I'm available. He was speaking to uh, his disciples, and he makes a comment in Matthew when he looks at the crowd, and he sees the crowd, and he has compassion on them. The Bible says that he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd, that they were lost, they were wayward. And his compassion said that, that he, he looked after them, he cared for them. And then he makes this statement to his disciples. He said, the fields are white and ready for harvest. 
He said, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send labors, that he would send workers. The issue is not opportunity. The fields are white all around us. There are lost people who want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They're just looking for someone to stand up in reality and authenticity and truth to show who Jesus Christ is. They may not always want it the way or the way, the, the timing that it is, but when we share our life with the hope of Jesus Christ, there's a world that cannot ignore the light that shines in dark places. It's not for a lack of opportunity. Jesus said in another place, he, he says the workers are few, but in, in the book of, of Luke, as he's talking as well, he tells the story of a persistent widow. This is a woman, a parable, a story of a woman who makes a request for justice. So she goes to the judge's door, his home, and knocks on the door and asks the judge for, for justice and asks the judge for, for favor. And she keeps knocking. The judge is like, hey, I'm busy. I don't have time. Go away. She keeps knocking, and she stays there. The Bible says that the judge says, I don't even like these people. I don't even care. But because of this woman's persistence, I'm going to give her what she's asking for. Jesus said, learn a lesson from the judge. And the lesson from the judge is, if a judge who doesn't even care about you will respond to your perseverance, how much more will the God who loves you respond to your perseverance? And then he asked this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will there be anyone with faith who says, I'll persevere, I'll keep going. My plan A didn't turn out the way I wanted it, but I trust my God. I'm going to keep persevering. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going on. I'm going to keep standing in the promise and the hope that my God is faithful. Is there that kind of faith on the earth? Because that faith will move mountains. That faith will cause things that are impossible to become possible. That kind of faith changes the circumstance that you're in, not according to your plan A, but according to the glory and the wonder and the work of our God. Do you believe that? Will he find that kind of faith? The issue is not rampant sin. The issue is not lack of opportunity. The issue is not lack of resource. The issue is willing vessels. People who are willing to say yes, to say, God, I'll, I'll say yes to your purpose, your will. Will there be those kind of people on the earth? This is Hezekiah in his day. And I love reading about Hezekiah. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Tim this morning, and I almost said I'm preaching out of the book of Hezekiah because I just love Hezekiah. Like, he almost gets his own book. Is anybody else, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's, it, Hezekiah, a great king. He's the 13th grandson of David. David, the one who God said of him, David is a man after my own heart. This is Hezekiah, but unfortunately, not all the generations after David had the same heart as their king. Not everybody had the same heart and desire. In fact, one of them was King Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah, and Ahaz was evil. In fact, the Bible says that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not follow in the ways of David, his father. He did evil things like he adopted the gods of Assyria, and by adopting the gods of Assyria, he began to worship like those gods. He began to worship those gods. In fact, he even goes to the point that he shuts down the temple. The place that David, his great, 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 great grandfather, had a vision to see a temple built. He shuts down the temple. He says no more worship. He says the gods of Assyria have taken care of them, so surely their gods can take care of us. So he takes on idol worship, and everybody else participates in idol worship. Not only does he shut the doors to the temple and gets the priests out, out of a job and all the things that are taking place, he destroys the articles that are used for worship. He goes to the great extent. Do you know sometimes we can get so turned off by the things of God and disobey what God wants that we remove ourselves so far and we try to blame it on other things and make it someone else's fault that we quit church or that we're not as close to God? Well, you know, they, they push it too much, this person's too hard, and we make it someone else's fault for us not pursuing the will of God. I want to say to you that when you stand before God, it won't matter what your circumstances. The only thing that matters is what you did with Jesus. You won't be able to hide behind any other excuse. There's a God who knows there are people who have used religion to hurt or to control or to manipulate. God knows that, but God also knows the ability. He has the ability to not just know you've been hurt. He knows how to heal your hurt. He knows how to heal the pain, the past. So let him. What are you waiting for? Why spend another year? Why keep going? Why keep waiting for a moment of time? Let today. Somebody say today. Let God heal your broken heart today. Let God restore that thing that worked today. I know I don't know what you're going through. I know I've never been where you've been. I know I can't say this is how you do it. I just know this. He is a faithful God. He's good. What he's done in the past, he can still do, and he still desires. He is willing. He wants to. 
It may not be my plan A, but I trust that his plan A is greater than mine. That he's faithful, he's good. Hezekiah is, is, is now taking over for Ahaz. Ahaz, his father, was so evil that Ahaz, and you can go read it in, in chapter uh, 28, Ahaz is also sacrificing some of his sons to the God of Molech. That's how evil he gets. The, the, the king who is from the same line as David, which that says there is evil running rampant in our land. The king is sacrificing babies to a God who isn't real. He's practicing worship of the neighbors that is pagan. He shut down the place of God's presence and not allowing people to go in. This is messed up. This is a horrible situation. And we live in a culture and a world today that one governor would sign into place the opportunity for a woman to abort a baby all the way up to full term. It is sickening. It's deplorable. It's disgrace. But here's the problem. We must say, we will say, but let me tell you this, let's not protest sin because it's more power to stand up in the promise of God's name. I don't need to tell the world how sinful they are. I just need to tell the world how great my God is, that we don't need to say what's wrong. We need to declare what's right. We don't need to just say, you better believe. If you ask me, we're gonna say, that is a sin, that's fornication, it's wrong. God does not desire that, that's not what God wants. But I'm not gonna tell you what's wrong with your life. I'm gonna tell you what God has for you. I'm gonna tell you what God wants to bring you into. I'm gonna tell you, the hope that he's designed because he wants all the world to be saved. Listen, we live in a deplorable, sickening world. Can you even imagine a full-term child being aborted? The demented thought that somehow we'd hide behind that's our rights. Why? Because that's the extreme of sin whenever we get caught into selfishness. I can't much say over someone else's extreme selfishness when I nurture and excuse my own level of selfishness. I think when we see the world going so dark and in places, and I don't want to hang here long, but I think we have to learn as the church, instead of saying, oh, the world, how horrible. Listen, what do you think the world's going to do? What do hopeless people do? Hopeless people sin. Well, how far does sin go? Uh, you've been there. You know. Sin does sinful things. So let's not look and say how bad and how, and it is. But I think it's the moment we have to ask ourselves, oh God, what have we allowed even in the church because judgment begins at the house of God? What have we allowed in the church that we've overlooked selfishness? That somehow we've made it about us. And how do you get to, you can kill a child in the same state where you're not, I won't get, never mind. Because uh, it's not political, but it's just, it's not political, it's just common sense, right? It's just, what, is, what are we thinking? What's going on? Uh, and that's not hate speech either. <laughs> that's love speech. I mean, how can you look to try and protect children at one place and then abort and destroy at another? It's weird. The same parties and the same people saying, look out for children here, but kill them here. What? Whoa, wait a minute. You, there's a problem here. But what it ought to make me, what we have to say is, God, where is those areas in our lives that we've allowed things that maybe come in and we have to say, God, help us to be fully engaged in what it is that you're doing. Hezekiah follows his father. And I want you to see this. Hezekiah now takes over. And Hezekiah begins to open what his father closed, begin to, begin to rebuild what his father tore down, begins to set in motion what his father put a stop to. Hezekiah begins to change the whole pattern. Now, here's the thing you've got to realize. Ahaz was king and he ruled for 16 years. Somebody say 16 years. 16 years can take a lot of, make a lot of things happen. I mean, in 16 years, that baby on your lap will start driving in 16 years, if she's lucky, or I don't know, however that works. Or, in 16 years, things can change just like that. In 16 years. 16 years was how long Ahaz ruled. And in 16 years, he shut the temple. He began sacrificing babies to the God of Molech. He did all kind of dis disgustful things. And he allowed just the, the whole area to become lessened and to become deplorable. That was in 16 years. Hezekiah shows up on the scene. And guess what Hezekiah does? Hezekiah begins to empower the Levites and the priests and to give them purpose and says to them, I want you to begin restoring the place of God's presence. Clean it out. Purify it. Then I want you to set the orders and things in operation. In fact, Hezekiah, the Bible says it was was done so quickly. Hezekiah restored in 16 days what Ahaz destroyed in 16 years. Here's what I want you to hear. The enemy might be able to cause ransack and ransack your life in 16 years, but it only takes God 16 days to restore what the enemy can take away. 
He is a God of expediency. He is a God who can turn around quickly. That you might say there's so much sin and so much darkness in the world. Yeah, there's sin and darkness. But there's a God who is seated above the throne or on the throne and above the darkness. He is greater that he can do in a short time what the enemy's taken a whole long time to do. The enemy's been doing the same thing he started with Adam and Eve when he was in the garden. Nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same thing. But you know what? Jesus, in just one day on the cross, defeated sin. And then three days later, rose from the dead. Jesus restored what the enemy's been taking a whole lifetime, his whole lifetime, to try and tear apart. Jesus restored in a moment. And guess what that moment he did? He restored every past sin, every present sin, and every future sin. That we are made whole and restored in Jesus' name. How many are thankful for what Jesus Christ has made possible? Would you catch with me today? I hope this gets in your heart. The only thing hindering the move of God in my life is not money, resources, opportunity, or sin. Your own sin, yes. But what it is, it's a willing vessel. We said last week that we have to be honest with ourselves and things that we've said I can't really becomes I don't want to. And a willingness are people who say, God, I want to please you. God, I want you to be glorified. God, I want you to be honored. I want you to receive praise. I want you to get the glory that is due to you. He did the work. Here's what I want you to, uh, here, here's what I want you to, to catch. D.L. Moody said these words, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. May we say the words of D.L. Moody. I, I aim to be that man or that woman, which, by the way, God has never had an issue with genders. He has empowered men and women. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. God doesn't have an issue. God doesn't, he didn't create this. This didn't start with the church, this whole, this whole war of men and women. God has always been pro-man, pro-woman. He loves when the body of Christ submit to one another. We know proper authority, and we honor God with God's heartbeat. How many know he doesn't mind blessing both sides of men and women that together see the kingdom of God advance, that homes are blessed, that, that there's favor and blessing? This is God's will, that we would be those individuals. I want you to focus on verse 34, though. This is the text that I read to you, giving you some of the background. Hezekiah restores the place of God's worship. And now he hits a bump in the road. It's not a huge bump, but I want you to catch this. There's enough sacrifices. There's enough resources. Things are coming. Verse 34, and this is what I'm going to focus on. But there were too few priests to prepare the burnt offerings. What's he hit? The problem. Not enough people. There's not enough willing vessels. We don't have enough people in, in, in the area to serve. It says that, that there were not enough priests. So the relatives, the Levites, who Levites are of the line of priests, but this was a specific group within the, the priests that were set apart to handle the, the, the sacred place of worship and the things in the temple and the place of worship. He says, but their relatives helped them until the work was finished and more priests had been purified. Listen to this verse. For the Levites had been more conscientious about purifying themselves than the priests had been. That bothered me. I read that verse, and I read it in every, in every version to make sure, you know, King James said it with this emphasis and, and uh, the NIV and looking at the ESV. I looked at every one of them. It all says the same thing, and it troubled me because the priests, who were the ones who were supposed to be in the process of purifying themselves, did not take it as serious as the Levites. The Levites were more conscientious of purifying themselves. Now, the priests are the ones who are supposed to be doing that work, but the priests weren't ready and available to do the work. Why? Because the only thing hindering the work of God is not rampant sin, not a lack of resources, not a lack of opportunity, a lack of willing people. I want you to catch that. Because we have empowered the things of the world more than recognizing the power that we have in Jesus Christ. We have given validity to things of this world. Well, the world is so bad. Yeah, but you know how great God is. Well, the world, you know, fornication and perversion and sin and all that's going. Do you know righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit and the power of God? Do you know how much greater the things of God are that he's able to restore? What is it that causes these priests now? And here's what I, I want to close to and bring us to a close here. There's a problem when the priests who are supposed to be doing the work, somewhere along the way, under the other regime, the leader, Ahaz, who was not godly, they adapted to his culture and forgot their calling. Could you be so adapting to your culture that you forgot the calling that God put upon your heart? Have you adapted so well to the culture that's around you? Well, you know, people just don't want to hear that anymore. That's just the way things are. Have we adapted so much to the culture that we've ignored the calling? 
Can we adapt so much? And here's the Levites. The Levites are, or, or I'm sorry, the priests. The priests are like, well, we used to make sacrifices, but you know, the king, he didn't give us the opportunity to make sacrifices. I wonder, hey, priests, did you forget who called you? You weren't appointed by a pre or by a king. You were appointed by the prophet. Moses was the one that set your order. Why are you letting the king take away what the king never gave you? The king didn't call you to be priest. The prophet, when he was on the mountain in the presence of God, in the Sinai, in the area of the, of the Lord's calling, when he spent time in the presence of God, it was in the presence of God that the prophet called you to be the one who did the work. So why are you letting an ungodly king take away your calling because you're adapting and listening more? to what the ungodly king is saying and forgetting the calling of the one who heard from the voice of God. I'm sorry that preached, and I hope you caught that because I thought that was a good point right there. I mean, if I was taking notes, I may have written that down. I don't know. That we're we're settling and letting someone else who didn't call us take away our calling. And we're adapting to the culture more than knowing the one who called us. Yeah, culture's gonna get ugly around us. But you know what? When the winds of adversity come, I'm going to lift my sails high. Because when the sails are high, the wind's blowing. God knows how to take me in a place. Because when the world is coming against and the world doesn't want to hear, when opposition roars, that's when my God works the best. That's when my God knows how to intervene. That's when it looks like it's the midnight hour after I've been bitten. beaten, Bitten, I don't know. That's, that's bad too. But I've been beaten, put in prison, and it's getting late. Like Paul and Silas, it's in the midnight hour. It looks like there's no hope. But I'm going to sing praises. And when I do, he shakes the prison bars. He He sets free. He knows how to work in the midnight hour. He knows how to work in the difficult places. He knows how to work in those seasons, those places of life. So what's it take? This is what it's going to take is for us being people who are fully engaged and willing and available to hear the voice of God. Can I tell you the culture can also get good at being tradition? Tradition. There are some that as we walk into what God has for us are still stuck in what God did yesterday and they don't know how to adapt to how God is doing things today because God never did the same thing over and over again. Often the things that we make tradition, and, and there are some who've said, you know, either uh, not um, how it's been done, and let me just land on this one. Um, there can be styles. We've got a different style of doing church here. There's not a right style because here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter the style of your music. God's not in your worship. He's above your worship. He is seated above you. I want you to catch this. We have allowed certain wars within the, well, we don't sing that song. I like this song. I I don't care if you sing it in Klingon. I don't know if you can even sing in that. If you're singing unto Jesus, I mean, we want, you know why? Because in Revelation, the Bible doesn't say that God was seated in their worship. He's seated above their worship. And so why are you bringing God down to your level when he's way up here? He's not in the song you're singing. He's in the song that you're yet to sing. He's not in the song that's been written. He's in the song that you haven't even written yet. He's above and beyond. He's not in what you're doing now. He's greater. He's in what was. He's in what is. And he is still in what will come. He is above your worship. He's not in it. He is seated above and above those places of worship. God's, God, God doesn't care about style. We get messed up about that. And then we get stuck in the tradition, in the way of things were, and what it was. My dad got saved in 1979. It was green carpet in that Church of God church. And they had wooden pews with green backing to match the carpet. I'm sure that was cool, but we don't have that today. It doesn't matter that they had a green carpet with wooden cross or whatever it was around I know we've got a black wall with some lights on it but the lights didn't chase the Holy Spirit out of here because the Holy Spirit isn't in a building he dwells on the inside of each and every one of us behold I do a new thing it springs up now do you not perceive it I'm not stuck in what was I'm in the place of what is and moving forward to what God God is in a worship that we've not yet experienced do you know that if you think you've experienced all of God's worship be careful that you've been in God's presence to the fullest extent. No, you haven't. Well, I know, I know how this works. And I, no, you don't. I've been pastoring for eight years, and that's nothing. And I have no idea except to say, God, I know your spirit knows what it's doing. And I know I may have never seen it done like this before, but I don't want it to be like it's been. God, I want to see where we walk in the grocery store and we lay hands on the sick and we give a word, that we give a a prophecy, that we speak life in hurting places. I want to see, God, that I don't even know how this works, but if you want to, and my, my electrician Dave starts going to places and his shadow comes over people and they get healed, God, do it. Whatever you want to do in Jesus' name, do it. Do it, that we would allow that, that's the fully engaged. Here's, here's, I want to give you this, 
you can write these three things down. There's only three because every good sermon has three points, and so I've got three. That was a joke. That was a joke. Some of you are like, I think you made up the third one just to pretend it was good. Okay, no, no, no. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. How do we, what do we need in this day? We need fully devoted, fully engaged priests. Do you know that you're a priest? If you know Jesus Christ, you've been, you've been put in the office of priesthood. You are a priest unto God to serve and to bring offering and sacrifice and worship unto God. Wave your hand if you're a priest called to worship unto God. Bring worship unto God. All right, those of you that maybe didn't raise your hand, I want you to know that God can save you. And if you're not saved, I mean this sincerely, because he'll give you a purpose far greater than you could ever imagine in this life. You could be a surgeon and a great surgeon, but you become a surgeon fully engaged in the purpose of God, and it becomes even more than you could ever imagine. You might be good at what you do, but you become fully engaged in the purpose of what God has called you to. It becomes even more than you could ever imagine. Let me give you these things quickly. The worship team's on their way now. We're going to bring this to a close, but I pray that God would ignite in you this call, this purpose to walk in fully engaged in what God is calling us to be. Here's number one. Number one is this, that we're going to be fully fully engaged priests, that it's going to take this, that we're fully atoned, that, that there's a, a fully atoned, that this atonement, and what this means is anything atoned is to become pleasing unto God. That we're to be pleasing unto God. This is the, the, the process of purification that the priests would have gone through. And the process of purification was so that they would become pleasing and acceptable unto God. They would bring their burnt offerings. You know what happens when we become pleasing and we go through the purification process? We become more sensitive. When something is purified, there becomes, there, there, there's a sensitivity. When something becomes purified, you get your, your, your teeth whitened. They said it makes your teeth more sensitive, and you become sensitive. Why? Because the process of cleaning causes you to become more sensitive. There's a purification process. There, there's the purification causes you to be more sensitive. Do you know when I spend time in the presence of God, my heart begins to be sensitive, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, remember the way you talked to Jody, and you probably shouldn't talk that way, and so why don't you change the way you're talking? Well, that was, you know, some of us be like, well, I got one on my left shoulder, and I don't know which one. No, that was the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. When the Holy Spirit, you know, there, there's a sensitivity. Hey, hey, the attitude you had, there was a little bit of pride in what you were saying, and you wanted to get recognized. And the Holy Spirit, in the time of spending time with him, said, hey, there's, there's pride in there. There's a purification process. That when we spend time in the presence, there's an atonement. You know what happens? We become more pleasing unto God. I'm saved on the day I made Jesus the Lord of my life. I was saved immediately. But guess what? God is still sanctifying my life in the Spirit of God. I'm going through the process of sanctification. I've been serving Jesus since I was seven years old. My story is that I never fell off the path. I've tripped on the path, but God has been good in my life. He's been good. He's kept me. I've been serving Jesus since I'm seven years old. That doesn't make me a Boy Scout and get badges. I don't get an extra mansion or a room in heaven. There's nothing about that. It just means this. The grace of God has been upon my life since I was seven years old. I've been walking after Jesus, and guess what? I'm not seven years old anymore, but God is still purifying and sanctifying me and speaking to my heart and revealing things in me and growing me. God help us if we get too familiar and we forget to allow the Holy Spirit to make us sensitive. I think the reason why the priests were no longer available is because they were just used to it. But the Levites, remember the Bible said that the Levites were more conscientious to purify themselves? Do you know why? Because I think the Levites were like, uh, you mean we get to come in? I get to come in here? I think the Levites were like, well, that's the priest. You're going to let me come in and, and I get to be in the presence of God and I get to present offerings before the Lord. I think the Levites were like, I get to do this? Where the priests were like, uh, whatever. I wonder which one you come to church more like, the priests or the Levites? How do you come to church more? You, you like the priest, like, yeah, we've done this, we sing this song, and yeah, we do this, oh, yep, the offering, yep, all that stuff. And then he's going to say stuff. We might even clap, it'll get real good, but it don't change anything. We just do it. Or you like the Levites, like, oh, we get to be the body of Christ for such a time as this, coming together as one people with one purpose to see, we, I don't know about you, but we get to do this? We get to be a part of this. We get to be the hope of God on this earth. We get, how many know what I'm talking about? When we, there's a, there's a, there's a sensitivity. We get to do this. There's an atonement. I, I want you to see they were, there was a lot that they had available. 
listen what verse 35 says. There was an abundance of burnt offerings with usual drink offerings and a great deal of fat uh, and the many peace offerings. Listen, there's abundance. God doesn't have a shortage of resources. His shortage was not the resources and the offerings to make sacrifices. There was more than that. There were 4,000 available. You add it up. It was somewhere around 4,000 animals that needed to be sacrificed for the burnt offering. And they're like, <gasps> we don't have enough priests. Why? Because some of the other priests got caught up in the culture and lost their calling. So we need Levites to step up. And I want you to catch us. I'm going to say this quickly. Leviticus 1, you can write that down, go back and read it. Leviticus 1 talks about the burnt offering. Leviticus 7 talks about the peace offering. Here's what the peace offering is. And God help us to have the peace offering, that we're atoned, we're, we're in relationship with God. How many know that God, Jesus came to give us peace, to give man peace with God, right? The burnt offering was brought to the Lord. And that was an animal depending on what you could afford. Because God is not a respecter of person. He'll take your pigeon or your cattle. You might not be able to afford a cattle, but he'll treat both the same. Do you know that? He didn't treat the pigeon that was brought any less than the cattle. Because God is not a respecter of person. He doesn't care what you're able to bring. He just makes sure you bring the best you can. Just bring the best you got. And then they would pour out a drink offering, and the drink offering was this, the, the oils that would also burn over this meat, and, and it, was, it would cause an, an aroma to go before God. I often think of it being at my dad's grill. There's an aroma that goes before the Lord, and I bless the Lord every time my dad cooks on the grill. I don't do it, my dad does, and I love every time he does. And then it says this, that from that burnt offering, there was the thanksgiving offering. Leviticus chapter 7, verse 11 to 18. The thanksgiving offering was on the first day that went to the priests. The priests would be able to eat the thanksgiving offering. How many know that when you're thankful, it shows in the way you treat other people? It shows in what you share in your life when you're thankful. And then the second one is the vow or the voluntary offering. This is where the one who brought the offering could now eat. Do you know that every time you bring an offering to God, it is a sacrifice when you bring it, but after the sacrifice, God has a way of pouring back and satisfying you in the process. Have you ever found that out? It's a sacrifice to start, but the moment you do, God brings it back around, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. That you might be tired in your weakness, and you lift up tired hands before God, but when you lift up tired hands, there's something about when the anointing shows up in the room, and the Spirit of God comes upon you, and you may have been tired when you lift your hands, but there's a strength and a Spirit of God that comes upon you, and now the weakness is made strong, that we're no longer tired, the weary no longer tired, but now they run. They run and not weary. Why? Because God has a way of taking your sacrifice and giving you a satisfaction and a blessing in return. That's the voluntary or the vow offering. And you have to eat that by day two. But on day three, how many know there's something about day three? On day three, if it's on that altar, you don't touch it. Because day three is the peace offering. That belongs to God. That is His. It's all unto Him. You don't touch the peace offering. Because on day three, that is the place that He says, I'm going to consume this. I'm pleased. I'm going to show up in my glory. I'm going to show up in my power. Aren't you thankful that on day three, Jesus showed up in His glory and His power when He rose again from the dead and He became victorious? That that peace offering is what belongs to God. Have you brought your life to God that says God it's not just sharing with people it's not just getting my satisfaction but it's leaving everything I've got on the altar so that you can get glory I'm leaving everything I've got on the altar sorry I might get a little bit excited in this place because I just see it I perceive it God says I'm, I'm doing something I'm doing something great it's now it's in this moment I promise I'm gonna be done here quickly just give me 15 more minutes we always try to end by 12 30 I'm on, I'm on time. Forget it. It's all good. It's all good. There's the atonement that we say, God, everything I have, I'm leaving it on the offering, on the altar. That's the peace offering. And he becomes pleased in that. Do you know there's nothing more I want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Man, the more I live on this earth, the more beautiful heaven becomes. Why? Not because I don't love this place, but the more I get with Jesus, the more I realize that he's got something far greater. And oh God, while I'm here, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, that we would see the glory of God expand in the day that we're in. There's no greater time to live than the one that we're in right now. Are you leaving everything you've got on the altar? So that on day three, God, everything I have, it's yours. And you know what he does? He brings it to life. 
and he's pleased and he's glorified in your life. That's called a clean conscience. That's called being able to rest at night because I'm not worried about what's going to find me out because your sin will find you out. But when you surrender and give it all to God and you lay it on the altar, he knows how to burn, burn it up. He knows how to purify. He knows how to work in your life. Let me give you number two. Number two is this, that we've got to go through the process of being fully adapted. And, and, and a fully adapting is this, that, that we come to the place where we start to fit in. Here's the question. Do you fit in more to Ahaz or to Hezekiah? See, you and I live in a, in a perverted world. Are we becoming and adapting more like the world or are we adapting to the things of God? When you adapt to something, it means you fit in. Over time, you adapt to something. We got friends of ours, they're missionaries in Alaska, and um, uh, uh, Austin and Jen Jones, they've adapted to living in Alaska. They, they have equipment and things that I would never even think of spending money on because they've adapted, they're ready for that climate, that place. Jesus said this, if anyone puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he is unfit for the kingdom of God. That unfit means no longer belonging. And, and here's why he says putting your hand to the plow and looking back. It's not because looking back makes you a sinner, but looking back is the first step to taking your hands off the, off the handles. Looking back is the first step to letting go of the plow. The look back isn't the problem the first time. It's when you get so comfortable to looking back that now you're like, some of you have taken your hands off the plow. You used to run after God with all your heart, but you've taken your hands off the plow. You don't go as hard as you used to. You don't, you're not as engaged as you used to be. You've taken your hands off the plow because somewhere along the way, it's like, ah, it's all good. But when you're fully engaged, he says, if you do that, you're unfit for the kingdom of God. And, and I would say, hey, don't look to the left or the right. Don't take your hands off the plow. Let's stay full throttle. I don't know if that plow doesn't even have a throttle, but the horse, kick it, whatever, get it going. Let me give you the last one. Last one is this, that we, we, we want to also then become fully anticipating. And here's what fully anticipating is, is when we come to a place that we are looking forward to what God is about to do. And it causes in us a cleansing and an availability to hear God clearly. But here's what it really is. It's when we're wholehearted. When you become wholehearted, wholehearted is not about what you do. It's about the heart you do it with. Is your heart in this? Is your heart in this? When you become wholehearted, you trust God with everything you've got. God, I'm all in. I had the privilege or the curse, I don't know, but being in a large family, I had a season of my life where I had the top bunk. That's not a, that's not a bad thing except when you fall out of bed. I remember one time falling out of bed from the top bunk. I woke up. Uh, I think I was even on time for school that day. I don't, it'll wake you up. I heard a preacher tell the story of a boy. Every time he got in bed, somewhere in the middle of the night, he'd fall out of bed and, Mommy! He'd, mom would come and mom would pick him up, put him back in bed. Another day or so would go by and he'd roll out of the bed and this started being a habit. Mom noticed how this was taking place, and the kid's like, Mommy! She puts him back in bed. She doesn't offer any advice, but one day the boy says, Mommy, why do I keep falling out of bed? Mommy smiled him and said, Well, honey, it's because you're never getting in all the way. It's because you're never getting in all the way. Some of us feel lost in life, and we know God's the answer. And then we're like, Well, God, where are you? And there's a sacrifice to trust God with everything you've got. There's a sacrifice to trust God with everything you've got. If anybody tries to tell you differently, it's a false gospel. It costs everything or it's sacrifice to trust God with everything you've got. To be all in, say, God, I'm going to trust you. I wonder today, you might be here today and you feel lost. That's why we call it lost because God is looking for you. Not because he doesn't know where you are, but because you don't know where he is in your life. And you know how good he is at this game of hide-and-go-seek? He won't even let you win because he's the one looking out for you. 
He's the one running after you. And he wants to find you. Some of you might be here today and you say, I, I know Jesus, but I feel lost in purpose. You know why? Because you've not given yourself wholly to God. You're sitting on the edge of the chair. And that edge of the chair is a little uncomfortable. You know what? That edge of the chair is really what you should be trusting God with. You're holding yourself up more than you're really letting that chair hold you up. You're sitting on the edge of the chair, but you're still holding yourself up with more weight than you're really putting on the chair. Your legs are still holding some weight and bracing. Some of you, that picture is so clear today. You know Jesus, but you haven't fully surrendered to the chair. The place that he's prepared for you, you've not fully surrendered. You're sitting on the edge. When you sit on the edge and something happens, you don't rest in him. You stand up and say, see, I knew this wouldn't work. See, this never happens the way I... See, this isn't working. No, you, you can't judge being thrown off the chair when you really didn't sit in it all the way. You really didn't surrender all the way. You didn't really lean in and rest because when the trouble occurs, it doesn't mean it doesn't, it doesn't phase you. It means it doesn't shake you, that you rest in Him. How many would say today, God, I'm all in. I don't want to fall in and out with you. I'm all in. I'm fully engaged in what you're doing. Amen? God, everything I've got. What do you give to a God who gives you your life back? give him your life and you know what you may have experienced that physically like some other people but if you know Jesus we've all experienced it spiritually I once was lost and dead in my sins but he came and he found me and he gave me life what do you do for someone who gives you life you give your life to him so I wonder today if there's anyone here who says God my hope is in you I'm all in my trust is you if that's you in the room would you stand your feet right now and would you just begin to surrender begin to worship him begin to say God I'm all in I'm fully engaged it's what you want here I am spirit of God do what you want